Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today, joining me for episode 243 of the show is Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's going on, man? Not much. Hanging out, finally back in my apartment. Nice. Doing a pod with you feels good. Feels good to be home for a bit. Yeah, back in Chi Town. That's good. Yeah, just in time for the Red Sox to come to town. Going to the game on Tuesday, which is Beatles night. Pretty pumped. Did we say Beatles? Yeah. Like the band? Yeah. So what are they going to do for it? Is there going to be like a like a Ringo Starr bobblehead or something? I have no I have no other information other than I saw it was Beatles night and I was like that sounds like a fun one let's do it <laughs> scooped up tickets for Beatles night so I have uh, I have no understanding of what that is other than just I assume Beatles themed they'll probably play Beatles music um, I feel like I should maybe like dress up as a Beatle maybe or a blue meanie what is that have you ever seen the movie The Yellow Submarine. No, I've not. Oh, you should do it. But don't do drugs. <laughs> but I did uh, um, go through the entire Beatles rock band in one, in one afternoon. Mm. Solid game there. Solid, yeah. solid game. All right. Well, we aren't here to talk about the Beatles, but we are here to talk about your Boston Red Sox today. Um, we're going to be touching on you know all of the recent happenings with the team. Uh, things are going a little bit better. It might not be super reflected in the uh, 
the standings here, but you know, there are some positive trends here for the Red Sox that we're going to be talking about today, which is going to be a nice refreshing uh, difference from, from the last few podcasts that, you know, we've been talking about how the sky is falling. So let's just get right into it here off the top. Um, the Red Sox just won a series against the Astros, one of the hottest teams, one of the best teams in baseball, you know, a team that was just in the World Series last year. Um, Astros are just damn impressive, man. The, the the way that they've been able to develop these pitchers who seemingly came from nowhere and Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and the way they keep finding hitters like Jeremy Pena and, and other guys like that. It's just a great club, so... Um, very impressive to see the Red Sox get a couple wins uh, against the Astros. I know you covered this yesterday with Bailey, but like, what's your what's your broad feeling taken away from uh, taking two out of three from the Astros and winning that series? Yeah, that felt great. Um, it felt like um, the Rangers series came at the right time, and that was really kind of like the get right series. Got the bats going, um, struggling team. Uh, <laughs> Hernandez has been on fire, um, which we'll get to in a bit. Trevor Story is kind of turning around. Um, the offense really kind of rounded into shape. And even in, in game two, which, um, you know, obviously didn't really, <laughs> which was, was tough to watch, but um, they there was a lot of positives to take away from the offense there, too. You know, they, they were able to score four runs. Um, we're still hitting the long ball. Stringing hits together, they had nearly as many hits as the Astros did. They just couldn't get anything kind of timely together. They were two for fourteen with runners in scoring position, stranded uh, season high twenty seven men on base. Um, but you know we're still still putting things together, even though they were um, you know at the time you know pretty far out of it. Um, and then obviously in the in games one and three, offense still looked really great, uh, and that was a team that at the time coming in, you mentioned it. Won 12 of 13, the second best record in uh, the American League. Um, We knew it was going to be a pretty tough battle. uh, And the Red Sox were up to the task. And that was something that we hadn't seen to this point yet. Them really kind of putting up a fight against a good team. I mean, not not only putting up a fight, but actually getting a serious win against a really good team. Um, They had been struggling to even put up a fight against bad teams. So... They have the really good series against Texas, get the offense going in the right direction, kept that momentum going against a really good team in the Astros, uh, win that series, back-to-back series wins, and it seems like things are now going in the right direction. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do, obviously. The team is sitting here as we're recording during the uh, first game of the Seattle series, but Red Sox are 15-22, and 22, still a 405 winning percentage, you know, 12 and a half back of New York at this point, but you got to be happy with with a couple of the things that happened in that series, and especially looking back to Game 1, um, Garrett Whitlock turned in another pretty good start, five innings, two earned runs against a really tough lineup. Uh, and then we had that massive rain delay, and I think that one of the things I was thinking, you know, during that rain delay, and I, I didn't stay up for the whole game because, you know, I had to work early in the morning, but um, when they came back from that rain delay, it was just huge. So the obviously the Martinez doubling to go ahead and then Bogarts uh, getting up to plate, up to bat uh, right after him with, uh, you know, with Martinez on second base and hearing re-sign Xander Chance. And that was pretty crazy. So uh, I, I just wanted to read a quote here from 
um, the recap of this game on ESPN, but it said after a 98-minute re- rain delay, uh, he heard a healthy chant of re-sign Xander, and Xander says, yeah, I heard it. I just told myself, I said, listen here, brother, don't strike out. Put it in play and see what happens. Just don't strike out. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, Xander comes up and hits that home run, putting the game away. Game ends up being 6-3. to three. Um, That was huge. The 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 whole thing was just really cool. I love that fans are just getting behind this guy. And it seems like one of the things that's really starting to happen around here um, is that even the mainstream media, like, you know, sports radio around Boston is really starting to harp on the whole, like, you need to get this guy signed thing. And, and it was it was kind of interesting because you and I, Keaton, have been pushing this narrative of you need to take care of Xander first in order to have a chance at Devers. And I even heard somebody on like regular sports radio, like one of the hosts say that uh, the other day. So um, I think it's really starting to pick up steam. And I have to think that this is putting some additional pressure, especially the fact that like, you know, Xander's over here carrying a 157 WRC plus at this point in the season, which I mean, if he carries this pace, which is obviously a little bit unlikely, that'll be the best offensive season he's ever turned in. So it's it's getting harder and harder to to ignore the noise here. And especially um, he came out and said to uh, to to Pete Abraham over the, the last week, he said, I don't know how this could work, but if they talk to Scott behind closed doors and it's something that's fair, uh, he can come to me. We'll see how that goes. So he's even softening his stance of negotiating with the team uh, during the year. And I know that Boris came back after that and said that, you know, there'll be no negotiating during the season. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Bogarts is is Boris's boss in this situation. And we know how the first negotiation went. He basically told Boris to to go get it done. So I have to think that, you know, the pressure, the way he's performing, uh, and the fact that this dude is desperate to be here. Like, Bogarts really, really freaking wants to be here. I, I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful about this situation at this point. Yeah, th- this is something that just doesn't happen in Boston. Like, everybody being on the same page and, like, pointing at the team and, like, uh, are you going to do it? <laughs> like, uh, like, even the like the fan base was pretty split on like what to do with Mookie <laughs> like there's none of that with Xander it's like uh guys get it done like there's everybody's on the same page apparently except the Red Sox which yeah. is like maddeningly frustrating I haven't seen anything that's like yeah just let him walk no big deal let him walk it, it seems like the pressure is coming from everywhere too like TC had uh had bloom on uh during I don't know one of the games recently and even mentioned the the re-signed Xander chance to him. Um, I mean, he's getting it from from every which way. I mean, I heard Will Fleming on the radio the other day saying that, uh, you know, if you're not going to build around this guy, then who the hell are you going to build around? You know, he's literally the perfect guy on and off the field. So, I mean, you're yeah. right. It the the city, the media, everyone is unified that they need to get this done. I mean, hell, Ken Rosenthal wrote a national piece like. Why are we talking about this? Why hasn't the team gotten this done already? No one understands. Uh, and I feel like that mounting pressure, coupled with this this rough start to the year, 
all of the pressure is on on the Red Sox to get this done at this point. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent it is, and I think the um, there was I don't I mean I guess I really don't know what kind of uh, twist it, it kind of put on the pressure, but the, like the poor start, and then there was a couple national people that were like. Well, now the Red Sox are going to be compelled to trade Xander Bogarts at the trade deadline if the Red Sox are, you know, still really bad. It didn't seem like that, at least from where I was sitting, like, put... I didn't notice that change the the narrative much. It was still, like, everybody that was commenting on it was like, this is doomsday. This is stupid. No, this is not going to happen. This can't... No. And, like, just absolutely rejected it as a possibility even if the red sox weren't doing well so it's just kind of funny that like there's no possible scenario where people can imagine him not being here even if the red sox aren't good yeah and it's just such a different situation than the mookie thing where mookie was just like very very clear about the fact that i want to set the market at my position you know i want to go out there and get this huge deal um that's not xander at all He's not saying that whatsoever. He keeps talking about fair deal, like just fair contract. That's all he wants. All he wants is a fair contract to stay here. And I think it's super duper important to Xander to play in one place. And he's talked about that over the last few weeks, too, that like nobody does it anymore. It's been a goal of his for his entire career to stay in one place. Um, I got to think that the Red Sox are going to be able to get something done. And I don't think it's going to command, you know, the the offers that Correa was asking for or what Francisco Lindor or Corey Seager got. I really don't think that it's going to take that to lock him up here. I think if if we give him something that is remotely close to those guys, uh, doesn't have to be what they're making, I think it's going to be really, really easy to to sign this guy. He, he just, he's desperate to be here. Yeah. You don't get too many guys like that. No, I mean, it should be, that's for sure. And particularly now there's literally no excuse with him being open to negotiations during the season. Like initially he was like, no, I just want to focus on the season. Let's get through it. And now he's like, no, actually, you know what? I want to be here and I want to get it done. There, all roadblocks have been completely removed from his point of view now like his perspective and now it's literally all on the team the yep. like the only reason for them not to get it done is because they're actively choosing not to get it done yeah you're absolutely right so i i think that it just goes ahead and ramps up the pressure even more so yeah um they dropped the second game in the series to the astros but the third game of the series was a really, really good one. I mean, they got pounded in game two, 13 to four. So I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to keep it positive. So we're going <laughs> to jump ahead to game three here. Um, but Nick Pavetta, man, he uh, he turned in just an incredible pitching performance. Um, first complete game for the Red Sox since 2019 when, when Sale pitched a complete game against the Royals. Uh, very impressive stuff. You know, he's commanding the curveball all night long. Slider was good. Fastball had crazy life up in the zone. Um, but this is not just a one-off thing for, for Nick Pavetta. I looked into his numbers today. 
a little bit. And uh, over his last five starts, dating back to April 26th, he's thrown 31 innings, uh, has a 2.03 ERA, um, striking out a batter per inning. He's got uh, 31 strikeouts and just five walks with just one home run allowed. Uh, over that time period, he's been absolutely killing it since he had the really rough start to the season. Um, you know, the first three starts of the year, he gave up four runs, four runs, five runs. And, and since then, he's just been really, really good. Um, so uh, what's impressing you about Pavetta? Is is this what we can expect from him going forward? Um, you know, how are you feeling about this? You know, it's really taking the wind out of my sails of calling him Nick Poopvetta when, he, when he's going this well. And it's a bit of a downer for me as the uh, as, as the resident low man on Nick Pavetta. It's, uh, it's a bit frustrating. Um, but hey, you know what? I'll admit when I'm wrong, and I'm kind of excited about it. Because <laughs> as you pointed out, I mean, this is like, this is crazy good. Um, and, and, you know, something that was a bit... Um, I don't know if add a character, but I mean, the walks were a little weird, right? Last year, a bit elevated compared to his career. Um, and we were kind of waiting for that to fall back in line because um, last year, the year that he was having, that was really the only outlier. Um, or not really the, the outlier, but everything was going really well for him, except the walks were kind of just out of line with the rest of his uh, rest of his stat line. Um, and now this year, he's kind of got all of that back together and as you pointed out over his last 31 innings he's not walking anybody uh 1.45 walks per nine to go along with the the strikeouts and um just the dominant performance in the first complete game that was wild first complete game since 2019 that i would not have guessed that yeah just doesn't happen anymore it's kind of weird but yeah I, yeah I think you you nailed it with the walks keaton i'm looking at his walk totals First game of the year, three walks. Second game of the year, two walks. Third game of the year, four walks. And then he did have four walks in his first sort of good start here as he started to turn things around. But uh, in the four starts since, one walk over four starts. That's that's really incredible. The command has been the thing with him. He's been talking about mechanics and uh, that being a big thing that he's worked on and you know, I remember that you and Bailey touched on that a little bit on the podcast as well, that he's just a very mechanical pitcher, um, and and that's something that he needed to get right. And it just seems like Pavetta is one of these guys that just needs to throw more in order to figure things out, and, you know, he's he's getting that run, and it's it's super important to this team, especially the timing of, of, of him doing this at a time when, you know, Nady Evaldi is struggling a little bit, and uh, Rich Hill was sort of on the shelf for a little bit of time and, and Michael Walker's on the shelf. So provided a whole lot of stability at a time where the Red Sox really didn't have a ton in the rotation and kind of kept things going well on that front. Yeah. Uh, since that April 26th, Mark, uh, Red Sox, three best starters, Pavetta, Hill, Waka. Not yeah. what I would have guessed coming into the year. <laughs> no, not at all. So I guess it's time for us to, to get to the bad news about Eovaldi getting the crap pounded out of him in uh, game two against Houston. Uh, went one and two thirds innings pitched, uh, gave up six earned runs and five freaking home runs, zero strikeouts. 
Uh, Nick Pavetta is getting, I mean, uh, Nate Eovaldi is just getting hammered by the long ball this year. Uh, he, he's given up two home runs in his first start, two in his second start, one in his third start, two in his fourth start, none, then one, one, and five. Five home runs. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I know that Nick Pavetta has had trouble in the past with the long ball, but like that was kind of weird. And now I'm I'm I've been looking at his numbers and I've been looking at this page for a while. And since he got to Boston, three of his four seasons, including this one, I guess I should say, yeah, he's had home run to fly ball rates in the twenty plus percent marks. Yep. And last year it was all the way down at eight point two percent. Like, was that the fluke? Is is Nate Eovaldi really just like home run itis, dude? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's this bad. I mean, this is a little absurd. Um, it's crazy. But yeah, you're, I mean, I just, I think it's it's got to be a Fenway thing, right? Because <laughs> there's no really other. I don't. There's no other explanation for it. But then, yeah, last year was just crazy good. But yeah, so I was as we were doing the recap last night. I was skimming his page to try and find something that stood out. I couldn't find it and stood out. Was trying to do a little bit of a deeper dive here before we got on this podcast, and I still couldn't find anything that makes sense on Fangraphs or Savant to tell us why this is happening. Um. The only thing that I can see is um, the meatball swing percentage is up 8%. But his uh, zone swing percentage and zone percentages are identical. So he's throwing it in the zone just as often. uh, And they're swinging at pitches in the zone just as often. They're just apparently swinging at meatballs more. I just I don't get it. And nothing makes sense as to why this is happening. Like I just I really don't get it. Yeah, it's weird. I mean he's he's a he's a pitcher who has really good control. So he's always in and around the zone. He has a very high CSW called called strike plus called strikes plus swinging strike percentage. Um, you know, over the last four years, that's been uh, right around the 28% plus mark. Um, it, it, is, it is kind of odd, um, but it seems like just the fact that he does have this fastball that is a little bit hittable, um, and it comes in really hard. I mean, dude throws like 97 as a starter on average um, with his fastball. It's just... I guess it's a recipe if you're if you're throwing it over the plate and it's not exactly where you want it. If the command on it isn't perfect, you know you're going to get punished sometimes. And yeah, it certainly seems like he's getting punished a little bit more uh, than than we'd like him to. Obviously, it's hard for me to get super worried about it though. Um, you know, the hard hit percentage is really high right now, thirty nine point four percent. Last year it was twenty seven point one percent and you know, his other years in Boston, it's been a lot more similar uh, to what it is now in terms of the hard hit rate. 
But I just think he's a better pitcher than this. I got to think there's a fix. Yeah, I, I, it, it seems like it's just a little fluky right now, and it'll kind of um, regress. To he's probably more around the twenty percent. The eight percent definitely is an outlier. Yeah, but nearly thirty percent is also an outlier. Twenty percent seems like it makes a lot of more a lot more sense. You and I have talked about him. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for several years now. Yeah. Um, he's very effective when he's working in the zone. That's where he gets his strikeouts. Um, so he's naturally going to kind of give up that contact. It's just how he's pitching to the contact. Um, and when he's not as sharp, then he's going to run into some gopher balls. But he generally makes up for it with his velocity. Um, and his velocity isn't – it's not really off. There's nothing – that's really a red flag there. Uh, five homers in an inning is certainly wacky. So it just it just kind of – I don't know what to make sense of it right now, basically. If it continues, if in a month he's still at 30%, then something's going to give. There's got to be something going on there. It's also Right now it weird. just feels really, really weird. It's It's also extra weird because of the run environment right now. Like it's yeah. harder than it's been in years to hit home runs. The balls are dead, yet he's allowing a career high three home runs per nine innings. Like, what is that? It's just very strange. Yeah, it actually reminded me of as I was saying that um, one thing I did notice his uh, chase percentage is actually up from where it usually is. So his. Um, where he's giving up the most contact is actually outside of the zone, which is very uncharacteristic for him. So maybe that's it. Yeah. But that's that's not really where the the meatball action happens, so I don't really know. But yeah, it's his chase percentage is up um, 2 percentage, but the chase contact is up 5%. So people are making more contact on him outside of the zone, but... He's always been more effective when he's in the zone anyway, so maybe that's it. Maybe he just needs to be go back to being more in the zone. <laughs> this, but, but it's such it's yeah, they just on the whole, the the whole line just doesn't really make much sense as to, to why it's this bad. Yeah. It's it's weird. I, I wonder, do you think if um you know, if this sort of continues, and I know that if we look at his whole time here with the Red Sox, he's uh He's definitely had some home run problems over his his tenure here. And does this impact Red Sox uh, management from trying to get him locked up to uh, an extension here after his deal runs out this year? I mean, he's he's one of the guys that we've been chatting about, you know, whether he's going to be part of the future or not. He's been very injury prone in his career, but he seems to have really found how to manage his body here at 32 years old. Um, and, and was one of the better pitchers in the American league last year. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure he's a guy you want to close the book on, but with these issues, it does seem like you might not want to give a guy like this, you know, $150 million contract because there are some real signs here that, you know, there, there could be some issues with the home run rate and, and, you know, possibly some other things. And, 
I think you need to worry a little bit about how Nathan Eovaldi is going to age, given how hard he throws the ball and given his injury history and all that stuff. So if you're Heim Bloom, does this change the way that you're approaching Nate Eovaldi or, or what do you, what's your preference with him? I mean, it, it, it feels early to talk about this, but I think that Nathan Eovaldi would really be one of the first guys to go at the trade deadline if uh, the team is out of it. So it, we're going to have to start talking about this pretty soon, I think. Yeah, I think I, I think I tend to agree that it's probably too early because um, I think that you really kind of have to see how he regresses back to I get and then I, I'm also you know <laughs> assuming that he does regress back to something like twenty percent because um, that's kind of where he's been in his time with the Red Sox and if that's the case I mean he's been really successful at that twenty percent so um, I think you kind of take that as the norm and go from there um, he'll be thirty three next year so I don't know about giving one hundred and fifty mil to um, I don't know, a 33-year-old whose healthiest seasons have come, you know, like right now. Um, I guess it depends on the length, I suppose. But um, it, it still feels like I don't know how much, you know, his first eight starts would affect how things look. Um you know, when assuming you know, this is only like a third of what he'll probably end up starting. I mean, he had wow, I didn't realize he had over thirty starts last year. That's crazy. I assumed he was probably going to be in like the mid twenties. So this would be like a quarter of his starts if he assumes. You know, we assume he goes the same, uh, pitches the same amount as a, a year ago. A lot can change in that amount of time. So it still seems really early. But I, yeah, I mean, if if at the end of the season or at the trade deadline, he's still at like a 30% homer rate. I mean, the rest of his line is not going to look very good at that point. So you'd have to kind of assume that this was some age regression and um, a portion of these results would be kind of who he would be going forward. And so I would definitely think that would affect it. Um, But I also, it just feels like such out of character that I feel like this is going to regress back more in line to where, things are so it does feel too early to talk about it yeah he's an interesting guy um just like eduardo rodriguez was an interesting guy for the red Sox. i think you know whatever happens with him it's going to be interesting contract wise um i was just looking at the numbers though from from the time that nathan Eovaldi got here in 2018 to present day um and, and what would you guess his ERA over that time period is with the team? Uh, 4.3. 4.13. So a little bit worse than That's that. Um, he's throwing 394 innings. Over that same period of time, so 2018 to the end of 2021, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez uh, actually threw almost 100 innings more. Uh, than Nathan Eovaldi, and had a lower ERA, 4.11, over that time period, and was worth a few more more, uh, than Nathan Eovaldi over that time period. So Eovaldi, I'm not sure how big of a contract he's actually going to command in the market, considering the fact that, you know, 
Erod was more durable than him and achieved better results. I know that he had the one great season last year, uh, Evaldi did, but, you know, Erod's a whole hell of a lot younger, and he didn't command a huge contract either. So do you think he ends up getting more or less than a guy like Erod got last year? I got to think less. They're like on a AAV. Um, Erod was four years younger and got like three and a half mil less on an AAV perspective. Yeah. So I got to think that this next contract for Ivaldi would be less than that. Yeah, it just seems like the the Red Sox might be able to uh, if they want to lock him up for something pretty reasonable, um, I, I think less than the deal that he is playing on for the team right now. Less yeah, than what Dombo so. gave him. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's uh, he's not a guy I'm wedded to by any means, and, and certainly somebody I'm not gonna, you know, cry about if if he gets traded if the team's out of it, but. You know, definitely, definitely an interesting guy to to be thinking about here. Um, moving on to the rest of the rotation, though. So, so Rich Hill looked okay in his return. Um, he, you know, he's he's pitching tonight and isn't looking great, but not looking terrible. Uh, Michael Walker though comes back Friday. Uh, when Michael Walker comes back, the team is going to have to make a decision with the roster, though. Uh, who do you think the team ends up uh, removing from the roster for for Michael Walker to come back and, and be a part of this team? Um, good question. Um, are they going to have to make a decision, though? I believe so, because I think right now... They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, fourteen, fourteen pitchers already without Waka. Um, so they're definitely going to have to do something there. Oh, I thought you were talking about the rotation, not just the the overall roster. Oh no, they're they're not going to have to do anything with the rotation. Yeah. He's just going to slot right in behind Hill, but. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, they, they, they have way too many pitchers on this team right now, and they're still carrying a three-man bench. So, I mean, who goes, presumably from the bullpen, who goes? Yeah. Well, um, my guess would be... Hmm. Schreiber, I suppose. He's got three options. No I mean, way. He hasn't done that. Yeah, he hasn't done that. He's been that really bad, good. I mean, I'd be fine with just tossing Brazier to the Wolves, but they <laughs> seem to love him. Brazier and his 608 ERA and his uh, his hard yeah. hit rate that's among the worst in all of baseball. Yeah, I'd be fine. Yeah, with he still has an option to left, too. But that's the thing is that they just don't seem to want to let him go, which is just the weirdest thing. But that would be the move that I would make. Trying to think of what their actual move would be. Usually they just send the guy that they just called up back down. So that would be Schreiber, right? <laughs> so yeah. but that I would like him to stay. <laughs> I don't think there's any way they're going to send Schreiber down considering how he's performed 
so far. Uh, I would love to see it be Brazier jettisoned. Um, you know, I, I would be fine with it being uh, Sawamura. I don't want to see them let go of Tyler Danish. And it's not because, you know, he's been overwhelmingly good or anything, but he's thrown strikes when he's been up here. Um, he's He's been hit a little bit, but, you know, 12 strikeouts to two walks. I think that that is, that's important for this, this team. And, you know, he's, he's a guy who can go multiple innings too. And I think that's important for the way this current rotation is set up. So if I'm, uh, if I'm Alex Cora, I'm, I'm kicking Brazier out, closing the door. Same. We'll see if it happens though. Yeah. I kind of doubt it, but you know, Tis what it is. All right, let's get to the offensive side of the ball. So um, you mentioned that part of the reason for the team's success lately has been a couple guys coming out of their slumps. And Kike and Story looks like they're coming out of it a little bit. Um, There's also been quite a bit of movement about uh, the first base position. Um, Cordero's really drawn a lot more of those starts recently. Um, But let's talk about Kike first. So over his last one, two, three, four, five, six games, not including tonight's game, uh, he's really turned things around. I mean, he's not tearing the cover off the ball or anything, but he's batting 280, 345 with a 360 slugging percentage. Still not hitting the ball tremendously hard during that period of time, but 105 WRC plus, collecting some hits here. Um, do you think we're close to seeing Kike really kind of break out of this, or are you still pretty concerned about him? No, I think this is him finally turning around. Um, I think the success of the rest of the lineup is kind of starting to to bleed. You know, that success breeds success. What is it? Rising tide lifts all boats That's mentality. It, yep. I think all those boats are being lifted, man. Well, I hope you're right. I uh, I want those these boats to be lifted and... Uh, one one guy I'm pretty sure is uh, definitely being lifted is uh, is Trevor Story. So he's he's really turned on the power recently, and we know that that one of the hallmarks of Trevor Story uh, is that he's a notoriously slow starter here. Um, but over the last what is this since the tenth? So that's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, including tonight's game, nine games. Uh, he's been pretty red hot over over those eight games that I just mentioned from the 10th to the 18th, 137 WRC plus 483 slugging percentage, a uh, couple home runs, three stolen bases. We're starting four. to see that really uh, four four including tonight. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another home run tonight as well. So, I mean, two. Two dongs. He has two dongs already. Two two run dongs tonight. He's got wow. all four runs for the Sox. So, two homers in his last two at-bats. Yeah, so I guess this totals up to four home runs. I mean, the guy's, the guy's red hot right now. Um, yeah. It seems, like, it seems like Story's really turning this thing around. Yeah, he may be that rising tide lifting all those boats. You're really, you're really hammering really that analogy into the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I really am. I think that you know what the analogy has run aground. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. 
Yeah, I mean, really, it's probably if we're gonna run it into the ground, it's probably Devers and his 500 batting average over the last two weeks. That would be that rising tide. But um, yeah, no, they're all everybody's got it going. Obviously, uh, yeah, the the two dongs tonight from Story feels great. Now he's got three at Fenway Park, and he's settling right in to just the, like we all expected he would here. So it, it just uh, feels great. It feels great to have this offense doing what we all expected them to do and really kind of take some of the pressure off the you know, the holes in the bullpen. So, yeah, this guy feels good. Yeah, I mean, if you can get Kike going to an acceptable level uh, in, in a 105 WRC plus is, is acceptable. It's definitely more in line with his career norms than what we saw from him last year when he was – pretty exceptional. Um, but if you can get him to be that or a little bit better, you know, that's fine. Um, we need to still get Verdugo going, but with story hitting this well, you know, you can start to see a way that you can carry that dead weight at the bottom of the uh, lineup though. So I want to talk about a couple of the other situations, the situations that are definitely more difficult fixes at this point in uh, first base catcher and, um, right field. Christian Vasquez has a 64 WRC plus really not a lot of power, not a lot good going on there. Franchi Cordero, 81 WRC plus no home runs so far. He's at least getting on base. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, 46 WRC plus not really playing a lot these days. Uh, JBJ, 50 WRC plus and Christian Arroyo, 45 WRC plus. So that's a whole lot of holes that this team is still carrying. At least Franchi's getting on base. Um, I still think that that's going to be like a pretty fatal flaw, especially because there's just not a lot of fixes for this stuff. I mean, when is it time uh, to actually address this with with JBJ and, and Arroyo and Wright and with you know the the ugly first base platoon? When is it time to call up Casas and Duran and just let them let them play? Because there's no way that they can be worse than what the hell's going on right now, right? Um, well, Duran, I would do now. Um, the way he was tearing up AAA, um, I will admit I haven't checked in on his line since they sent him back down. Um, but uh, he was the changes that he had made. To his swing seemed like they were really working, uh, running all over the place. Uh, had a triple in uh, the game that he came up here at the major league level. I would love to see him get regular at bats and just see what happens. Um, I think he can play left just fine. Verdugo can play right. And JBJ can be the late inning replacement. I don't think he should be getting every day at bats. And I just want to see what Duran can do. So I would say now for him. Uh, Casas, it seems like he still needs a little bit. So maybe give him another month, see where he's at, and maybe reevaluate there. Um, I've been pretty impressed with Franchi. You know, the overall line, um, 214 average isn't great, but the 306 on base percentage, double-digit walk rate, his strikeout rate's only 20%. That's great. He's turned in really, really solid at-bats this time around, and it's still a small sample, but uh, he's still hitting the ball hard, and he's had really, really quality at-bats. He really looks like a different dude at the plate this time around. Um, and I have a lot more confidence in him. And it's not just like a, oh, great, Franchi's up, automatic out, here we go, anymore. 
I really feel when he comes up to the plate that he's going to have a really solid at bat and something good is going to happen. Um, he has a really nice at bat with Trevor Story. Um, Trevor Story got on ahead of him, drew a walk, stole second, and Franchi just put the bat on the ball, went the other way, drove him home with a single. It was beautiful baseball to watch. And that is something that the bottom of the order just hasn't had in a really long time. So I think he's a great fit, and I'm fine with him basically just riding that out, seeing how long that lasts, um, and then kind of revisit Costas in a month and see if he's you know taken taken more to AAA and, and that seasoning has helped. Obviously the power's there, but you want to see a little bit more plate discipline, get the strikeouts down a bit there um, from Costas. So uh, re- maybe reevaluate him in a month, and Duran, I'd say now, why not? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on on Duran. I think he's continued to be really good at AAA. When he came up here, he didn't look overmatched either. Uh, it was a very very small sample size, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that you need to push that button uh, with Duran, even if it makes your outfield defense a little bit worse. Play Duran in left field, move Verdugo over to right field. I don't know why they're hesitant to do that. Uh, I think they should, but. You know, whatever. I, I think that button needs to be pressed. But I don't share your optimism about Franchi Cordero. I know that he's coming up and he's giving these longer at-bats and he's getting on base. But he's such a huge guy. Like, he's got 70 raw at least. And he just doesn't get to his power. You know, like, looking over his career, the guy has 13 home runs in his entire career. 500 plate appearances, 13 home runs for a guy that size that swings the way that he does. And I just don't think that like that's the solution, you know, because because Casas, what's Casas really good at? He's really good at walking and he's really good at connecting with power um, because he's just a mammoth guy. So I, I think that Casas already is a much more complete player. Uh, than Franchi is and, and can already give you more than, than you know, good Franchi. What we're seeing is good Franchi from him. Um, and it's still just, eh, it's not really, not really what I like. It's fine for the bottom of the order, though. It's fine, but is fine good enough to keep this team from the dregs of the American League East? Yes, if the rest of the order is doing what they need to do. But why do we need to accept it, Keaton? Why can't we have better? I mean, we can always have better, sure. But, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if the top six is doing what the top six should be doing, then one person doing fine in the bottom three is a massive upgrade. I agree with that. Um, but the Duran thing, I mean, you can't you can't have three positions where guys have WRCs well under 100. Yeah. You just can't do Correct. that. Yeah. So, they they got to they got to at least push some buttons and they're not going to be able to push a button at catcher because that is just way too important of a position and they don't have anything internally to push. So there's there's nothing coming at catcher like Vasky is is what he is and he's going to be there. Uh, so you, yep. you got to push a button with one of these other two positions. Yep. Um, 
more good news at AAA though. Um, Brian Bayo made his AAA debut and looked extremely good. Uh, I have his numbers right here, and uh, he went six innings pitched, uh, gave up two earned runs, one home run, uh, struck out ten, walked one, uh, and this is you know coming off a, a season here where he's been electric. I mean, he's had seven starts this season, 39 and two thirds innings pitched, 52 strikeouts, just 13 walks. Uh, he's been fantastic. He's only allowed four home runs. He's, he's been really, really good. Um, Brian Bayo is, is definitely living up to the hype. Uh, he got a little ahead of himself the other day by saying he wants to be even better than Pedro Martinez, which, okay, <laughs> I mean, buddy. You can want, but the- yeah, you can want that, but, I mean, the, the kid's good. He's really electric. He's got great stuff. Do, do you think that Bayo ends up being a factor for this team? He's 23 years old. Does he come up and, and impact this team out of a bullpen role or, you know, some other role? They could certainly use an arm like this, but with him being, you know, your top starting pitching prospect, I wonder if the team might be hesitant to use him out of a relief role. Um, I mean, I don't mind in a relief role if the intention is then to turn him into a starter next year. I mean, we've seen that with a bunch of top prospects, you know, across the league. They usually debut as a reliever in the the first year that they get their first taste of major league action. You know, just to get used to major league hitters in a in a short spurt, just to get a feel for the strike zone and the competition, and then they you know get into it as a starter. So, um, I wouldn't mind it. Um, especially if they can turn him into like some kind of, you know, if they can get like seventh, eighth inning, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw a rookie into the ninth inning immediately. That's, that'd be a little absurd, but you know, if they can ease him into it and then start getting like maybe seventh, eighth inning, um, appearances out of him, um, at the end of the season, just to see what's going on. I don't mind it. Um, but I don't, I don't want that to then, you know, turn into um like a big thing of should he stay there or not i think he absolutely should be given the run to be a starter but <clears throat> i don't know about soon but because i mean this was just his first taste of triple a but i mean if he continues this level of success i mean this this first start was really good so if he continues that going i mean i think at some point he's just going to push their hand right and then <laughs> finally they have some depth here so that, that just feels really good so i it feels like if he continues to be this good then it, it's going to happen this year and I, I really wouldn't mind that being in the bullpen yeah i'm only okay with it in the bullpen if um the team is able to get themselves back in this race you know if they if they come to july early august or something like that and they're truly contending for one of these wild card spots and the team is back over 500 and feeling pretty good about themselves. Then, then I'm okay with uh, pressing that button and having him come up and, and pitch some relief innings for for a team that's battling. But I, I don't want him to come up uh, for anything more than a cup of coffee this year if it's if the team's out of it. I don't see a ton of benefit to that outside of just getting a little bit of experience here. Um, you know, I, I want to see him continue to get innings and, and stretch out. So he's, he looks good. I mean, this, this looks yeah. like the guy who could come up and, 
uh, break the curse of Red Sox pitching prospects just not panning out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. Dig it. Yeah, looks real good. All right, let's go ahead and move on from this to our listener questions before we get on out of here. Um, Gordon Comstock has our first one. He says, if you could pick one player not named Wander Franco or Vladdy to have traded out of the AL East so you don't need to see them uh, for however long they're under team control, who would you pick? So I guess it does matter here a little bit about uh, contract length as well. Yeah, that's a fun question. Um, yeah. I think the first ones that came to mind for me were like Shane McClanahan, Shane Baz, those two. Uh, they're really good pitchers. I don't really want to see them for like a decade. I mean, chances are since they're in Tampa, they, we won't have to. But I mean, at least right now, it's six years. But that's a long time. They're really good. Those are probably yeah, the guys. I, th- I think you could also throw into that mix um, uh, Alec Manoa from uh, Toronto. Yep who's yep, under team too. control for a while. Um, he's just filthy. Um, and Bo Bichette. I mean, you yeah. know, Bo Bichette's a pretty damn good player. I think he's a player that could easily uh, warrant some MVP votes at some point over the next few years. So uh, not having to worry about Bo would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So I think on the position side, I go bow on the pitching side. I go Manoa because he absolutely murdered us last time. Yeah, I'll go bow and McClanahan. Nice. Love it. Good question. I, that was a really fun one. Yeah. Um, next one comes from Ivan L. Apex, and he says, is Xander the greatest shortstop in franchise history? You know I love these questions. This is great. Uh, or is it still Nomar? Nomar has nine seasons, uh, 1,281 hits, 279 doubles, 178 home runs, 690 RBIs, six all-star games, one silver slugger. Xander Bogarts has 1,285 hits, 278 doubles, 145 home runs, 626 RBIs, three all-star games, four silver sluggers, and two rings. So he outlines the resumes here. Uh, what's your take on this, Keaton? Is is Xander has Xander done enough to eclipse Nomar? Well, um, see, I was going to defer to you uh, because you are the historian. All right. Um, that was going to be my go, but since you asked me, let me um, let me look at pull something up real quick. Um, so, what's the Xander Bogarts? Um, about the same. What was the length of the year for him? Was he's in his ninth season now, right? Yeah, or I guess yeah. eighth. <clears throat> Well, so Nomar's got a 40 war. Uh, If we try and factor in the defense there, um, Xander's 11 war behind him, 
right now. So I guess if That's we factor in the defense, I think I'm going Nomar still. Yeah. Offensively, they're pretty close, but defensively, I think I got to go Nomar. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. I had to make this choice when I did my uh, all time Red Sox team, um, and I did put Nomar ahead of him. And I think that Xander hasn't quite done enough uh, to go ahead of Nomar yet. However, I fully expect Xander to uh, go ahead of Nomar by the end of this season. I think this is all he needs to finally eclipse him. Um, Xander at the end of this season, well, by June, at some point in June, is going to be the the all-time leader in games played at shortstop for this franchise, which is really remarkable considering you know, the, the life of this franchise. And I think that he's an incredible offensive player, definitely still not as explosive an offensive player as Nomar was at his peak. But I think the thing that Xander has over Nomar is just, he doesn't miss games. He's incredibly steady, um, really, really poised hitter. The defense is not as good as Nomar's, uh, but Nomar was definitely prone to some bonehead errors as well. I, yeah. I remember watching many a Nomar jump throw that did not make their mark. So uh, he definitely made some more difficult plays than Xander. But at the end of uh, his career, especially if Bloom doesn't completely screw the pooch here, uh, (laughs) Xander Bogarts is going to uh, go down as the greatest shortstop in the history of the team. Bold. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's that bold, but probably not that bold. But yeah, uh, number two should be up on that uh, that right field facade at some point. That would be wonderful. All right. Well, that's a fitting way to end this podcast, Keaton. Uh, I am glad that we were able to uh, save this recording. We had a little snafu in the middle of it. So uh, for, for all the people there, there was a, a little bit of a close shave, but we got it out to you. So Keaton, thank you for your your uh, recording wizardry, and uh, I'm glad that you're home, home with your cats me and your too. girlfriend. In that order. <laughs> Thank God she doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, I would have definitely just gotten you in the doghouse there by putting the cats first. Yeah. All right, man. Well, take care. And everybody, thanks for listening to us uh, record. I mean, uh, rate, review, all that stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, shout us out some questions if you if you want to. You can find Keaton on Twitter at The Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at Dev Jake, And you can find Over the Monster at Over the Monster. Thanks for listening. Yeah.